Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is June 23rd, one day after the summer solstice, I think, or maybe two days after, and we are going to do a review preview of Wednesday's 2-2 draw against NYCFC at Mercedes-Benz Stadium and look ahead to Saturday's game at Red Bulls in beautiful Harrison, New Jersey. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. In this podcast, you are going to hear from manager Gonzalo Pineda. You'll hear from center back Juanjo Parata. And you'll unfortunately have to hear from me as I answer your questions in the mailbag, which will be in the second half of the podcast. We also have some voicemails. Some people have called in and given their thoughts. I think um, Brett from Inman Park, who I finally got a chance to meet the other day twice. The other days, I should say that would be plural, uh, both at the Fado's when I went there to watch the U.S. Canada League's Cup championship game. And then we happened to bump into each other yesterday walking around Midtown. So I can't wait to hear what he has to say in the voicemail. And as always, that number is 404-526-2527. Let's do our quick info gathering review preview. Atlanta United drew NYCFC 2-2. Atlanta United gave up a goal within the first minute uh, to Pereira. Uh, it wasn't a mistake. It was more just a, it was more to me an example of the other team is trying to win two. Could Atlanta United's transitional defense have been better? Sure. But the other team is trying to win. And it was a fantastic shot by Pereira. Atlanta United came back and drew it on a goal by Tyler Wolf. And then NYCFC scored again. Uh, just a, an unfortunate bounce off of a Johnny Fortune's foot. From a pass by Parata, uh, it went to Richie Ledesma, who passed it again to Pereira, who blasted a shot. Braguzan was in the proper position. Just a little bit of bad luck, bounced off his foot and went into the goal. That's how it goes sometimes. The other team is trying to win. And then, of course, Atlanta United rallied. Nicholas Firmino signed only to a four-day contract earlier in the day. That four-day contract also covers tomorrow's game against Red Bulls. Headed in a Brooks Lennon pass to tie the game at two. It also extended Atlanta United's unbeaten streak to seven matches, which is pretty impressive. Maybe not as impressive when you factor in that five of those seven are draws. And we're going to hear a little bit about Pineda's thoughts on that soon. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. All right, so Saturday's game against Red Bulls, it'll be a 7.39 kickoff, which is almost always going to be the case when the show is on Apple TV. Just to go through some of the, the information that's pertinent right now, Atlanta United has 29 points. It is in fifth in the East, two behind fourth place Philadelphia. Its record is 7-4-8. It is, however, 1-3-5 away from Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Red Bulls 
are four, six, and eight with just 13 goals scored in 18 games, which is unbelievable, but they're still three, two, and four at home. So this has the makings of a zero, zero draw written all over it. A lot will depend upon how Atlanta United handles Red Bulls press. The team should benefit from getting, well, if it's more than should, it will benefit from getting Yorga Shakamaki's back at striker. Tiago Almada back at attacking midfielder. You're going to have Luis Abram back. I don't know if he's going to start at center back in place of Noah Cobb to be paired with Juanjo Parata. I don't know if Pineda is going to go with consistency compared with experience. Abram, you know, has one start, hasn't performed probably as well as everyone thought when they signed him, but this might be another chance for him against a, a Red Bulls team that is really, really struggling to score. Atlanta United cannot give up a goal early against Red Bulls, or the game is going to be very, very difficult for them to get all three points. But let's go back to Wednesday and some positives. Here's Pineda talking about the team signing Firmino and a homegrown Luke Brennan. They were uh, Brennan was one of six homegrowns, a club record six homegrowns, who appeared in Wednesday's NYCFC match. And here's Pineda talking about playing them. Well, number one, I think they deserve it. It's a... Uh, it's, uh, uh, good performances with the second team. We keep track of that. Coaches are paying attention to what they do there. We're in constant communication with the coaching staff of the second team, and then uh, they deserve it, number one. We need them, number two. And then number three is uh, yesterday I told them that's why I called them out, because they deserve it. They've been performing very well. We've been watching live a few games at home, and you know I think they're they're up to the standard. But then uh, I asked them, uh, Luke came on the left due to some tactics that New York City was doing very well. We were forced to change to a back three at the end of the game, well, the last probably 20, 25 minutes. And then I put uh, Luke Brennan as a, almost as a left wing back. And then uh, Firmino almost as a double tank with a chop. And then underneath them was Ossi with Rosetto. So trying to overload the middle and then trying to have some... Uh, players outside and then having numbers inside the box. So that was the idea. Um, and they did very well. I think Luke didn't touch the ball that much. Uh, probably were playing more on the right side. At the times, you know, when matchup was doing good on the right side with Brooks, then we were dangerous. But uh, I think still Luke uh, has a lot of potential to play there. And then I followed up by asking Pineda if he thought the homegrowns did enough to earn some more playing time. We'll see. That, again, that's that's something for Carlos. Again, it's a signing, and signings is, is for Carlos. Of course, we have those discussions, and we will talk about that for sure in the next few days. But at least we have them for for the next game, and and, and we will see if uh, how everyone is recovering. With the three guys are coming back from internationals, we will see what are the numbers and how we can make the next uh, roster against your Red Bulls. Now, just to recap. The rules. Some of y'all MLS rules are difficult to follow. So you know, if you don't understand them, that's completely understandable. MLS teams can sign from MLS Next Pro players to a maximum of four short-term agreements per season. Those short-term agreements are for four days. If the player called up plays, then he's can only play in one more MLS match that season. This doesn't hold true for U.S. Open Cup or. Uh, as far as I know, the uh, the League's Cup matches that are upcoming. So that is why I tweeted earlier in the day and tried to explain in a story why it was unlikely you were going to see Brennan and Firmino, 
but the team was losing two to one. It needed something in attack, so that's why Pineda put them on. And of course, it worked out with Firmino scoring the tying goal. Now, the Pineda has talked about, and we've seen in the past, particularly in the two games against Chicago, Atlanta United switching off kind of mentally on dead balls. This is not an issue this season. This goes back pre-Pineda under previous managers. I've had to talk to them about this. But NYCFC's first goal came from a throw-in. The play started with a throw-in. Atlanta United created a turnover near midfield, but then NYCFC won it right back, the ball out to the wing to Pereira. He was able to shift the ball onto his left foot in the box and, and hit a very, very good shot. I don't know how many goalkeepers would have stopped that shot. The second started with a free kick. Kind of the same thing happened again. Atlanta United won the ball, an unfortunate bounce off of Johnny Fortune's foot, the goal. But I did want Pineda's take on whether these were goals from dead balls in which the team switched off or if it was something else. I think we were not great tonight on those uh, overall. Not great, but those two that you're talking about is uh, more transitions because it's not like they got the first contact week talk a lot about not letting them letting them uh, make the first contact and actually I think they made the first one but then Noah anticipate the, the second touch and then after that he just miscalculated the pass I mean he's uh, center back with big big ceiling we still believe in, in, in Noah and we're going to believe because he has so many attributes to his game that we know young center backs at times make mistakes um, and and well, he will learn from that one, but it's not really uh, um, a, a real consequence after that. Many things happen to allow the first goal. The second one, yeah, it was more that transition moment where we missed the pass, Gianni miscalculated the position of the opponent, and then we give up the ball, and it was a quick transition moment. I wouldn't categorize as that, but that's not saying that we were not uh, uh, all good in, in those moments. And today we're able to speak with Juanjo Parata, who speaks English very, very well. He's, of course, a, a native of Mexico, on how he thought Noah Cobb did on Wednesday. It was Noah's third start in all comps this season, but second in MLS. I think good. He just, he just has two games with us. So I think pretty good, pretty good performance. I think he felt very comfortable because he's always a little bit easy playing at home so I think he he did well and here's Wanho talking about what Noah needs to work on going forward I think everyone has to work on many things but I think I mean he's, he's too young with the with the years or with the games he's going to take better decisions with the ball with when to when to drop when to go up it's part of the of the game he he has to to learn when you are young you you take maybe rushed decisions and, and with the games you you make that better and going back to the seven game unbeaten streak it's one off the club record which was set in 2018 eight games if he's concerned about the team dropping too many points due to draws Yes, yes, we know that we are unbeaten in seven games, but as you said, most of the of the games were were draws. We went all, also to regain those those points that we left behind and led, led behind. Sorry, and yeah, most of the of the ties that that we had 
some of them has been on the last minutes yeah. so we have to to be better on that As also in this last game we draw the game the last minute I don't know why it is like that but always we consider goal in the last minute or, or, or we score in the mm -hmm. last minute I don't know so defensively for sure we, we have to, to do better now I will point out that while the team has dropped some points because it's not winning the matches, it's also, you could argue, won some points by getting draws late, such as NYCFC, getting that point when it almost got none. Getting a point with a draw at LAFC, to me, is almost like getting four points because LAFC usually wins those games, so that would be three points, but Atlanta United got the point. Other opponents in these go to LAFC and might lose, so that's... Anyway, it was a good point. But here's Pineda talking about the chances of seeing more homegrowns playing on Saturday. I think you're likely to see four. Uh, Johnny Fortune is off to the Gold Cup with Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, Luke Brennan is back with the twos. He didn't train with the team today. Well, some of them maybe. I mean, uh, Johnny, you know, he went back to, to Trinidad, so he might be out. Um, the rest, they have big chances. Here's Pineda talking about the team's propensity for scoring and allowing goals late in game. So I figured this up today. From the 86th minute on this season in MLS games, Atlanta United has scored 10 goals, which is a crazy number, and allowed eight. If Or in MLS, they've allowed six. In all comps, they've allowed eight. It's a crazy stat, and here's Pineda talking about it. Well, I don't know what to say. I would, I would like to, to say that on scoring goals late, that means that we never give up. Mm -hmm. We are always till the end fighting, competing. And then I think the goals we have considered is more about lapses or, you know, in the mistakes that we have made in the last minutes uh, that, of course, we need to fix. Uh, but it's more also the, the first couple, the, the goals in the first minutes of the game. That's what worries me the most because... It's almost like uh, starting the game with uh, the wrong foot mm -hmm. and, and you know, the, the narrative of the rest of the game is very different. So if we can solidify that and just enter into the game, and then I think normally we gain some rhythm uh, in the first few minutes and then we can be dangerous. So, so the way the game is played can be different if we stop conceding those goals at the beginning of the, of the games. And then here's Gonzo talking about what he might do with the lineup based on trying to deal with the Red Bulls press. It's about playing good football. Against, <laughs> against teams that press you, you have to play good. If you are only thinking about uh, fighting and competing, of course, that, that and that's going to be important. But to me, is you have to play good. And that's the way we know, and that's how we are going to approach this game, is trying to play good uh, with what we have. I think we have a good enough team to go there and try to... Uh, for do um, to have a victory for first time in Atlanta United's history, mm -hmm. that's one of the goals I, I tag to the players. Um, and yeah, we want to go for it. But again, experience, yes, youth, passion, all that. I think at the at the end of the day, and I told them this before, like the ball doesn't know the age of mm -hmm. who's kicking. And you know, it doesn't matter if it is Brad Gusan or Rossi Alonso or it is Noah and Caleb. Like the ball responds to how good you treat it and how your decisions are on the ball. So you, you have to have just good footballers and, and hopefully we can play good. And here's Plenty with a pretty interesting answer on if he's concerned about the team dropping points with draws 
from these last seven games. Yes, I mean, in an ideal world, you would like to transform a few of those ties in victories, of course. Those at least two, for example, Toronto's game away, I think mm-hmm. we were lost two points there. Mm-hmm. Even New York City away was another one at home, that one against New England. Mm-hmm. So if you talk about maybe four more points where we would be in the, in the standings, so probably third, third fourth. Yeah. So, uh, yes, of course, ideally, you, know, you would like to have a, a couple more on the other side. We also earn a couple points at the end of seven, mm-hmm. certain games that maybe we would have tied, right? San Jose, stuff like that. So uh, both ways, uh, always have to read both ways but uh, overall I like the mantra of we haven't lost that many games and overall we've been competitive and tough to beat and that's important to create that reputation around the league that especially at home we're very tough to beat and if someone wants to come home and trying to to earn three points it's going to be very very difficult uh, but on the other side I think not many teams had been uh, collecting a tie in, for example in LAFC a mm-hmm. very difficult yeah. place to play and I think it was only two teams at this point where, where the rest of the games they, they've been winning so that spirits of being tough to beat and, and competitive and you know not, not losing many games that's important as well when you go and you look at playoffs that's what it's about it's about being tough to beat and then in in some moments in playoffs you can you can earn the victory out of a magical moment but then you have to be tough to defend and to know how to do all the other duties that at times in playoffs is very important so uh, I like that part but hopefully we can start to catch up a couple more victories especially on the road mm-hmm. I think it's been only one right uh, mm-hmm. against uh, Charlotte so we need to catch up a couple more victories and I think uh, we're going to be better on the standings. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When we return, we'll dive into the mailbag. I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, our food and dining and so much more on AJC.com. Plus, you can get access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on. All right, our first mailbag questions came into the, the voicemail line. That is manned by Daniel, who once again is begging you to call in the poor guy has nothing going on in his life other than the crocheting and he has not quite ridden or risen to the level of master crocheter yet the number is 404-526-AJCP that's 404-526-2527 hi Doug ladies and first founding member long time listener big fan of your pod I love you but this message ain't for you, it's for your fans. Hi there, fellow Lucky United fans. Have you heard the news? Apparently, Doug has been given exclusive access to the caravan ice cream machine in the press box. 
Can you believe it? I what does he have that we don't? Does it have silky smooth voice? His expert analysis. Or maybe it's just because he's the chosen one. But let's be real. Why should Doug get to enjoy delicious ice cream with a stock with stale popcorn and warm soda? It's just not fair, folks. I mean, the ones who show up rain or shine win or lose. We deserve better than this. So, what are we to do? Do we storm the best box and demand our right to share of ice cream? Do we start a petition to boycott Carvel until they give us equal treatment? Or we just suck it up and expect to hate this second-class fans? Personally, I think we should all dress up like Doug and sneak into the best box. Who knows? Maybe they'll think we're him. Give us some ice cream, too. Or maybe we'll get kicked out and banned from the stadium for life. Either way, it'll be worth it for a taste of that sweet, sweet Carvel goodness. <laughs> Not serious, no. Let's hope Doug shares his ice cream with us next time. After all, Delay United is all about, and if that means sharing some ice cream, then so be it. Oh, and let's not forget about Doug and his never-ending coffee cup. I mean, the man practically lives on caffeine. Coffee sip? Maybe that's how we got the Carvel hookup in the first place. He bribed the Carvel executives with an endless supply of his coffee. But seriously, Doug, share the love. Maybe if I offered us a sip of your coffee, we'd be more willing to overlook your exclusive ice cream privileges. Or maybe not. That's worth a shot. Just remember, teamwork makes the dream work, even when it comes to caffeine and sugar. Oh, Daniel. Keep it up, mate. Knit one pair two. Good job. All right. I can't tell if he's slamming Carville ice cream, if he's slamming the fact that I won't share. And I won't. Or the fact that they don't have free Carvel ice cream in the stadium. I would love to share Carvel ice cream with all of you people because it is manna from heaven. But there's just not enough to go around. Now, if you wanted to try to dress like me and get it in the press box, it wouldn't be hard. Just wear some dark pants, a golf shirt, some sneakers, some nerdy glasses, and a black backpack, and you're good to go. But... You have to tell awful, awful dad jokes and ask really dumb questions. So if you want to get in your practice, feel free to call in with your imitations of me and we'll play them. That number is 404-526-2527. And now I'm going to take a coffee sip before we get into our second voicemail. Brett from Ingham Park. So far this season, we've given up nine goals in minutes 46 through 60. So... The other team comes out of the locker room in the second half and scores on us right away. How am I supposed to look at that as anything other than Pineda getting outcoached? The other team goes in at halftime, makes adjustments, and scores on us. More than half the time, we've played things to fix that. All right, that is an interesting question from Brett, and I want to look up a stat here in the game notes provided by Johannes Schneider one of the best communications guys in the history of communication guys. And he's going to kill me because I just called him out on the, on the podcast. So Atlanta United has allowed nine goals in the 46th through 60th minute of games this year. You are correct there. Brett from Inman park. I would ask you though, Atlanta United has scored seven goals in the opening 15 minutes of games. So is that Pineda out coaching the opponent? They've allowed four. 
Conversely, they've scored five in the 46th through 60th minute. They've scored seven and allowed four in the 61st through 75th minute. So is Pineda making an adjustment and the other team not? And they've outscored opponents 13 to seven in the 70th, 76th through 90th minute. So are those adjustments continuing and the other team not? That's the other way to look at this, my friend. Voicemail number three. I get Brett from Inman Park again. He had over a million dollars in payroll on the bench between Rosetto and Hernandez. This is when we're completely depleted by the international college window, and these guys still can't get in the starting lineup, and Hernandez can't even play. What's the point of keeping them on the roster? Can we just cut them, pay them their money, and tell them to go find a different club because they're wasting space on our roster? They bring no value. Well, I understand your point, except you can't. MLS rules don't allow that. You get one buyout. That's it. You can't just cut guys. You, If you you know, want to complain about the salary, that's fine, except they weren't all bought at the same time. They're bought at different times when the team has different amounts of money because the salary cap rolls over every year. The gamut changes every year. The international slots change every year. It's not like you're going to a grocery store and picking 11 players off the shelf and you know exactly what the prices are and you know what your budget is. The budget is ever-changing. The prices are ever-changing. It is what it is. But anyway, I appreciate the call-ins. Please keep calling in, and I hope that I see you again out and about in Midtown. I will buy you either a cup of coffee or a frosty beverage, but I will not buy you Carvel ice cream. Josh says, I really appreciate the pod. Well, I really appreciate you listening. It has moved into can't-miss territory for me. Now, see, how come the rest of y'all can't be super-duper sweet like Josh? I'm kidding. Most of y'all really are. I appreciate it. He continues, I know Atlanta United has a great reputation as treating their players and employees extremely well. But are we being too nice by letting Arahujo leave early when we are super short-staffed? So, Arahujo... Uh, last game was the red card he received uh, pre-DC United, I think it was. He then was granted uh, leave by the team to go ahead and join Flamengo in Brazil, which purchased him for a reported $10 million. He was on a flight on the way to Brazil during Wednesday's game against NYCFC, and apparently his plane had to turn around due to mechanical issues and came back to Atlanta. So I hope that he's on another plane and getting to Brazil safely and soundly. But there's no point in keeping him on the roster. He's gone. The team needs to know what it has in Tyler Wolf. It kind of it knows what it has in Caleb Wiley, but it needs to know what it has in Machop Chole. It's got to get those guys some playing time. And so I think it was a smart decision. Josh continues, other examples would be keeping Carlos Bocanegra when he's clearly got one foot out the door, R.E. his Rangers interview. Now, I'm going to disagree with you on this one, Josh. When a club like Rangers – which is it's one of the two biggest clubs in Scotland. It, you can't say that it's one of the biggest clubs in Europe anymore, but it does carry a reputation as being a, a very well-established and now well-run club in Scotland. It wasn't always. It's won more than 100 trophies, which is fantastic. And Bocanegra played for them. When it calls and asks if you want to interview for the job, you don't say no. So that doesn't mean he's got one foot out the door. I would take it as, you know, a, a compliment to both Bocanegra and Atlanta United that he was asked to interview. He withdrew his name from consideration. I don't know who they've hired. I don't follow Rangers that closely. But uh, that's just a kind of a slanted way to look at it, I think. 
And then this is another kind of interesting, I don't know if this is coming off of Reddit or where these ideas are coming from. Can the league prevent Messi or any other DP from paying their friends under the table to come join them as non-DPs? This is even sketchier territory for a situation like Bob Bradley and Michael Bradley in Toronto. I have no idea what you're saying there or what you're alleging with Michael Bradley and Bob Bradley. Everyone knows I'm not a big fan of either one. But I haven't seen any reports or anything that Messi is going to pay anyone under the table to come join him in Miami. Miami has already gotten into trouble once for not following rules. There is no way I think it's going to do that again. But billionaires lose their minds when it comes to pro sports. So I guess I should say nothing surprises me anymore. Jason with a very, very long question. So stay with us here. First, I have to say how I impressed, how impressed I am with Yurgo Shakamakis. Joseph will always have a special place in Atlanta United history, but I might need to see a few years of Gigi's work before I decide to build the Joseph statue, unless they plan on building more than one statue. I don't think you're ever going to see a statue. I was talking with my son about Gigi's play. He seems to cover more of the field. I know Joseph did great defending corners, but it appears to me that Gigi gets back on defense more. I remember a lot of Joseph standing around at midfield. Your thoughts. Gigi does work hard on defense. He worked hard at pressing. Joseph did too uh, before his knee injury. And Joseph was very good at corners because he had such explosive uh, jumping ability. And Gigi is, is also a good jumper. So that's why he also is back defending on corners. I don't know if you watch Greece play France, but he was back for Greece defending on corners too for that reason. Gigi is a, he's a heck of a player. We were, I was on uh, the podcast hosted by Joe Patrick with Sam Jones earlier today. And one of them, I think it was Sam, kind of threw out playing Machop Chol and Yurgo Shakamakis as two forwards up top to press Red Bulls. I would pay a lot of money to see that because that would be just a tornado-ish effort by those two who work very, very hard on defense. Jason continues, I reverted to my childhood and collect Atlanta United cards. I didn't even know that was a thing, but that's interesting. I recently realized when I moved Arahujo to the past players binder that he never had a standard Atlanta United card issued, and he was a DP for about two years. I only have European cards and stickers for him and one Tops Now card he shared with Joseph. On the other hand, Tyler Wolf has two Tops Now cards, and I've just ordered Nick Firmino's Tops Now card. I think it's kind of telling how much of an impact Arahujo had compared to these young guys. By no means am I trying to trash Arahujo. I think he's a talented player. And your opinion, did he offer a lot of intangibles that were not backed up with stats? Yeah, he did. I mean, he worked hard on defense too. He just, the his product in the final third of the field just wasn't there. And, you know, Sam Jones has wrote a really good piece about this last week on the striker, if you want to go read that. And I've talked about it on the podcast. Tyler is willing to make the runs to the back post just to haul butt at top speed. That's why he gets tap-ins. Or Hujo, for whatever reason, just would not make those runs or couldn't get there in time. One of the two. That is part of it. On to Rob, who is bringing this up again, but it's interesting. I'm laughing only because he's bringing it up again. Uh, not at you, Rob, friend of the podcast. On the last episode, you laughed off the possibility of Christian Pulisic and MLS. With rumors swirling of him going to AC Milan for 4 million euros, does that not at least open the door of possibility that an MLS club with big spinning ambition could enter the conversation? They could, but at this point in his career, Pulisic is not going to come to Major League Soccer. He wants to stay in Europe. 
while MLS has improved, it's not Europe. It's not, especially not Italy. Um, it's not Champions League. And that's what he wants to do. That's the, that's the bar that every club, including those in Saudi Arabia, who will never be able to meet it, have got to try to reach. You want to know why U.S. and Mexico have started this Nations League or League's Cup tournament, whatever it is, for their clubs? That's part of the reason why. They want a, a better competition to go along with the Gold Cup for the Nations and the the CONCACAF Champions League, which includes some teams from Central America that just don't have the resources to compete anymore. That's why they have this tournament. They're trying to make it make the teams better, and you get better by playing better teams, and that's what's happening. So, I mean, Arthur Blank could, let's say he threw $50 million at Christian Pulisic to come to Major League Soccer. It's a, it would be a fantastic offer. I don't think Pulisic would take it. He knows that money might still be there in a couple of years, and right now he wants to stay in Europe. On to Pat, who has a, a long few takes here, but Pat always says some interesting things in front of the podcast. He says he's happy with the tie given the lineup rolled out, but felt the team deserved better. His first observation is that he's more appreciative of Andrew Gutman every day. He always seems to be a player on the field others can rally behind. He felt the first goal should have been defended better by one of the CBs who were out of position to provide proper cover. Well, Noah Cobb was up the field breaking up uh, a throw-in, putting pressure on somebody, which may have been his assignment. I, I don't know. That's why he was up the field. Uh, everybody got caught a little bit up the field. Second observation is the presence of homegrowns bodes well for the future. He has been critical of in the past of the team's penchant for looking to South America to fill the roster. While initially it was needed, I think, he says, we have learned, leaned too much in that direction after we were established. I don't know if they've leaned too much, um, but now that the academy is up and rolling and they have more information on each of the players, they get a better idea of who they could sign as homegrowns and what they could do in the future. I, I think you'll find more of a, of a mix. His third observation is an appreciation for your coverage, but ask that you put a game clock note on your in-game tweets, if able, I see most after the game, and some of the comments of a general nature are hard to put in context. Well, Pat, here, my advice to you is when you're at the game, just watch your phone and my tweets. Don't watch the game at all. Just read my tweets, and that'll tell you all you need to know about the game. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Please put your keep your phone in your pocket. I appreciate that you keep your phone in your pocket. I find it bemusing. When I'm watching sports on TV and people have their cell phones out recording things and are looking at their cell phone at the action instead of watching the action, you know, I guess it's cool to get some stuff up close, but like golf tournaments in particular, it's just, it boggles my mind. But anyway, that's, that's either here nor there. I, I don't know. I'll think about it, but I'm not sure if I can do that, Pat. And then Pat continues. I would be curious if you could do an informal survey of listeners who get a paper copy of the AJC on Sunday, in what order do they read the sections? All right, I'll throw that out there. If you want to email in your answer, you can email, email me at droberson at ajc.com. On to Dave. I love the podcast, and I have heard you call people a friend of the podcast. How does one get this title of high esteem? Do I need to contact someone at Interpol? You might want to do that. Or how much coffee, Doug Coffee do I need to purchase? Well, you could purchase a pallet. I think that Daniel's home is being overrun now by bags of, of Doug coffee from the beans I've grown on my patio here. I, I roast them myself. It's a special proprietary blend. 
And then I uh, use a burrow I bought and walk them to Daniel's house in Turkey. It takes a while. And from there, he bags up the coffee. It's not a very efficient production model, but you know, it's what I know. Adam says, I am absolutely livid. Miguel Berry played the full match and a game there for the taking a possible three points against a conference rival. Pineda took off productive players while leaving that statue on the field is criminal, a truly pathetic display. So other than getting experience for the kids, why were the particular subs made? Cause our section was downright PO'd about some of the moves. Well, Tyler was cramping, so that's why Ozzy came on for Tyler. Brennan and Firmino came on because the team was trying to score a goal. Azetu came on because I think Sadic or maybe Fortune had run themselves out. They were done. Uh, That's why the subs were made. You don't really have a a backup striker that you could put in. Yorgos was gone. Barry was it. I thought he played well. I know he doesn't have a lot of shots, and he admits he needs to do better, but he also gets no service. Watch the game. He gets nothing, man. Nothing. Ivis says, April 22nd was NYCFC's last win, and we gave up a goal in the first minute, we being Atlanta United. This mailbag will no doubt include Carlos Bocanegra's ability to build a roster. It hasn't. And you will defend him by pointing out the trophies the club has won under him, three. But none of those trophies have happened since 2019. What is your statute of limitations for past success when it comes to judging the present performance of front office personnel and coaches? I would say if they make the playoffs again this year, then job is done. And by making the playoffs, I don't mean like by finishing ninth. I mean by finishing, you know, third or fourth. Then that's a job well done. And then we'll see what happens. If they finish like eighth or ninth or don't make the playoffs, then, you know, I think Garth has a tough decision to make. I've said this before on the podcast. I know y'all don't like Carlos, so do you want to keep banging on him? And, and part of me gets it, and part of me don't doesn't understand it. That's your right as fans and listeners of the podcast. And question of the week comes from Nick. Coffee sip first. Could you give us an inside look at what your trip covering an away game is like? So, uh, yeah, I can. And I'll give you the two different most common examples of this. Saturday the team plays at Red Bulls. I'm going by myself. I don't really enjoy Harrison, New Jersey that much. So on Monday, a few days ago, I email Red Bulls and ask how to secure a credential. I go through that process and get a credential. You can't get into the stadium, at least in the press box without a credential. I will fly. I will go to take the MARTA to the airport, fly on Delta to Newark, get in around noon, probably take a nap. Red Bulls is different than almost every other MLS team. There's one more that I can't, I can't remember, but I know there's one more. And most teams will allow you to get in the stadium two hours before kickoff. Red Bulls is an hour and a half before kickoff. Now, there is going to be a unified game Saturday afternoon between Atlanta United and Red Bulls. I don't know if it's going to be televised on Atlanta United's uh, team site. But, you know, if you want to at least follow the team's Twitter to see how that's going, because those kids are, they're fantastic kids and they have a lot of fun and it's just, it's a wonderful experience for them, but try to give them support. So anyway, I'll get to the stadium to Red Bull Arena, take an Uber, uh, probably around six. They usually service a decent pregame meal. I'll go set up my laptop. I'll go through game notes. Well, I probably, I will have already gone through game notes Saturday afternoon, started my story files, written down some points that I want to make sure I go back and review if they're pertinent in the game story, 
I'll jot down some notes with some facts and stuff that need to be included and updated in the game story. For example, the goals allowed and the, the final four minutes of regulation and goal scored in the final four minutes of regulation, the two goals scored in the f- opening minute by opponents in the past four games, those kind of things. So things I need to make sure I include in the story. Then I'll go eat something. I think Red Bulls usually serves as hot dogs or maybe it's sandwiches for dinner, and that's fine. Go back to the press row, which is one of the best in Major League Soccer. It's right in the center of the pitch. It's outside. It should be a beautiful night in Newark Saturday and cover the game. Halftime, we get empanadas, or we used to get empanadas. I hope we still do because they're fantastic at Red Bull. Then after the game, find where the visitor locker room is. It's I think it's moved since I was there last year. Talk to Pineda first. Then they'll bring out a couple of players, maybe as many as three. It depends on how the game goes. I'll come back up, add the quotes into the story. Then I'll go back to the hotel, Uber back, drink an adult beverage if they offer them in the hotel, and probably go ahead and write the first few graphs of the follow story while stuff is still popping in my brain. Coordinate with Daniel. I have to remember he's in Turkey right now, what time it is there, about what time we're going to record the podcast uh, Sunday morning. Then I go to the airport and fly back home. Now, when I'm traveling with my kids or with someone, uh, if the schedule allows, we'll fly uh, like Friday afternoon and then fly back Sunday night. So we get to go and experience all the fun of wherever it is we happen to be. The next time that might be is Seattle in August. Uh, Most of you know, my kids and I just went to London, so I don't know if they're going to be going on any more trips with me this summer. Kids are expensive, but wonderful. Um, but that's usually it. I appreciate the question, Nick. You always ask a lot of good questions. Greg says Joseph Martinez voiced frustration over player or players and implied they were at Atlanta United for a check as opposed to caring about the club. Can you now divulge who you think he was referring to? Was it a DP forward that just left for Brazil? Thanks for what it's worth. I never saw him take a game off and thought he generally hustled. Although the performance in the final third was lacking as discussed. Now, I don't know who he's referring to. I think it may have been some past players and not any of the current players. It, it for a person in the locker room to call out a teammate saying something like that, a current teammate that, that would, it would be pretty obvious who it is or was. And I don't think that player was on last year's roster. I think he was referring to things in the past, but I could be very, very wrong. Um, and he was not English, obviously, is not Joseph's first language. So he may have been meaning something, but said something else. But it's a good question, and I appreciate it, Greg. Thank you. All right, that's going to wrap up this Southern Fried Soccer podcast. Again, Atlanta United, New York Red Bulls, kickoff 7.39 p.m. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Please subscribe to the podcast. Hug your loved ones. Communicate with your loved ones. Y'all take care.